Welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of people living with diabetes from all over the world. And we have a very special episode today. Uh, it's not often that we get to be behind the scenes of some of our partners who help us produce this podcast and help us create opportunities for other diabetes creators. But the CEO of Mankind Corp, Michael Castagna, is here today on the podcast to talk a little bit about what it's like behind the scenes at a pharmaceutical company like Mankind. Thank you for having us today, Rob. Yeah, really excited to have you. And, you know, I, I try to do well, part of my process when I bring people on who appear on other podcasts is I go and I, I listen to other episodes that you've done. And you are an interesting guy. I, I'm always fascinated by people who have like really unique, different sides to their professional background. So, for example, my, my first question for you, you know, before we dig into your role as the CEO of Mankind, you went and got your doctor of pharmacy degree, you're a farm D, but then you immediately went and you know pursued an MBA from a top business school, which makes you pretty that's a pretty rare case, I feel like it doesn't happen too often. So what made you, you know, decide that as a career path? You know, I was in pharmacy school in nineteen ninety seven. I got a summer internship at a company called DuPont Pharma. I started working at HIV in ninety five at pharmacy. Wind up working on a drug that launched in care for HIV, which became the first once a day walk over eight years later. And I felt that the way, how could I impact the world the best? And was that being a community pharmacist, a hospital CEO, CEO, pharmacy chain? I knew I wanted to do something big in the world. And I felt that you know, focusing on trying to become a CEO of a pharmaceutical company would best enable me to help the most people. And I had to look back on my career for 26 years since Changed the standard of care in hepatitis, diabetes, HIV, cardiovascular herbs, arthritis. It's been a phenomenal opportunity. And taking things like Omnipod, for example, is one of the things I did at Amgen, brought it over to cancer. People used to come back to the hospital the next day of their chemotherapy, and we would put an Omnipod on them for delivering to last the next day. Changed their life for millions of patients a year. It was great. So small innovations can make a huge difference in people's lives. And I feel like, you know, we spent so much money in drug development. Uh, getting an MBA from a top-tier school. At that time, I wanted to run at Bristol-Myers or Amgen, so I thought getting the best MBA I could, great. Coming from a kid of poverty, I think I could get in. Did I have that self-confidence? Was I that smart? I didn't think I would get in. Unfortunately, unfortunately I did get in, so I had to start over. I'd already had my first year, my MBA done at Drexel. But when I got into Penn, I actually had to redo all my classes. I just said the second time I was a little bit smarter around this, the courses. But, you know, it really helped me get a great civic foundation, great business foundation. And ultimately, in the job I, I, I took here at Mankind, I was not the CEO. I was, I was dropped in front of public company. And I would say those skills I learned in my MBA 15 years ago definitely came in handy. Where we are without that background. It's, it's very interesting. I think I, I heard years ago, like when you're an expert at two different things, and I, and I think of a, a guest that we had on our podcast many years ago now who was a pilot, a commercial airline pilot, and was diagnosed with type 1, got his his wings taken away, and then went back to medical school and ended up now just got his class 1 medical back in, in the past two years as pilots now are able, with type 1, are able to fly a commercial aircraft again. But when you become an expert in two fields, like you really become like a, a force to be reckoned with within these you know different conversations because you can look at things from different perspectives. So it's really fascinating, I think, like, you know, because you have that pharmacist background, 
you know, on the business side of things, you're able to see things a different way than maybe some of your peers in the C-suite. Yeah. I think I, I can't name another pharmacist running a pharmaceutical company today. Rarity in that one. I care about the science. I care about patients. I care about the customers we serve more than anything. And that, that comes first that we do. Take care of the, the user of the product. The rest works out well. That we provide great products to work lung disease as well as diabetes. And, you know, I'm really proud of the work done as, as a team as we serve like yourself and others. But you're, you're coming on the pilot. I don't know if you know this, one of the, the very first pilot who got his license back at Southwest for losing it because he had type 1 diabetes was the president of Patriot. Oh, really? I didn't know that. He, uh, when they passed the law, he could not get his time and range under control, so he couldn't pass the medical exam and used the friends that helped bring him down a little bit tighter so that he could not have the hypoglycemia, uh, which was one of the big requirements to be certified. And so the very first pilot that you rule was a present patient. So pretty cool. Oh, wow. For, you know, for, so let's talk about that because, you know, compared to the other, especially, you know, insulin manufacturers in the diabetes space, like mankind is very small. So when you're able to like see the impact of such a small company, you know, and, and being able to say, Hey, the first pilot who got his, his class one medical to be able to, to fly with type one diabetes uses your product. Like, you know, how does that galvanize the team and, and you specifically? For me, it just gives me motivation pushing, right? We, we don't help anywhere near the number of people we should. And, you know, having a voice to shows like this that help reach more people live with diabetes, help us get the awareness out, right? Because I think the number one thing for a friend is, I, I love when I meet somebody and go, inhaled insulin, when's it coming out? I go, it's been out nine years. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, that, that's how poorly it's been marketed. It's how much doctors don't offer to patients, right? It's a shame that as patients, healthcare, myself and you include, we should be offered every option, right? There's no reason whether it's an MDI, a pop a pod, inhaled insulin, we should be told, hey, any of these can help you, which will best fit your lifestyle. And then all, that option is often not offered to patients. Often, hey, I want to put you on a pump, pick one of these two, and that's all they deal with, right? I don't even know there's three other options besides that. And that's hard because we don't have $100 million that goes back on TV advertising. That's about what it would cost. So for me, we've spent $3 billion to bring inhaled insulin to market. It's just mind-boggling how much we still have work to do. We have a lot of work to do to help a lot. But in our pharmaceutical industry, we're a small company, but we're very focused on real-time control. I think that's the biggest need and challenging outcomes better at diabetes. What a special. This conversation here is so casual, but I, it's just, okay, so I'm remembering a time I was walking in the streets of Egypt with my friend who also has type 1, and I pulled out my Afreza inhaler because I just, didn't I just felt like it. I was like, I don't feel like bolusing for this. I'm just gonna take my insulin through my little inhaler. And she stood there and was like, what are you doing? And when I told her, she was like, this exists. And it really brought to mind how like this product seems like science fiction to some people, like not even possible. So really, it blows my mind that not enough people know about it or that it could be accessible to them. <laughs> yeah. Now I was in a comedy club this weekend. Yeah. I inhaled my insulin because I was pretzels. <laughs> The guy goes, you can't vape in here. And I go, I'm not vaping. It's made. He goes, oh, I'm sorry. You know, so it's always fun. Like even on the airplane, I love when like, last night I was flying home and I'm like, I'm going to inhale just to irritate the, the, the stewardess because hard to help my thug. And I know he's just saying stuff that I'm like, it's my insult, buddy. Get off my case. Well, so, so it's kind of fun. It raises awareness, but you know, I was going to be on a flight for six hours and my sugars were you know, 180. Let's get these things down while we're sleeping. 
I, I actually, you know, I love to use a Fresa on planes because you're sitting down for so long and, you know, it doesn't require you as much to, as much as some of the other insulins to like get up and move around. People typically frown upon lunging up and down the airline hallway, uh, pathway. So uh, yeah, I, that's, that's when I like to have it as part of my diabetes toolkit, but you also live with diabetes. So let's, let's talk about like your diagnosis as well. You know, how it's very rare that we get to have conversations with patient led, you know, cause you, you talked about like, you're a pharmacist, you are, you have your MBA and you're a patient. So, you know, what kind of perspective does that give you as, as a CEO, but also like, you know, tell us how you came to join the, the type one diabetes family. So I just need a doctor and then I can prescribe my own medicine. I can fill my own medicine. You know, I'll, have to, I'll be all, all but no, I, I unfortunately did not have a father growing up as many people don't. But by the time I found that who he was, he has to wait for complications of diabetes. And so for me, I actually did not want to work in this disease unless I thought this reminded every day I sailed on. So I finally just got to meet my dad's children, grandkids, and diabetes is rampant in the family, type one. And so I knew, unfortunately, I was predisposed to get it at some point. And I was pre-diabetic for many years, but it was job. And I was just fine. Then I got COVID last January. And I had my annual physical. I have one for a couple of years because of COVID. And my A1C spiked up. So I was like, oh, I guess it's here. And so for me, what I've learned in this, you know, this field of type 2, the very first thing that goes, type 2 diabetes, is your mealtime control. But the very last thing we give you is your mealtime insulin back. We try every oral medication, every basal, every GLP. And then you finally fail after seven to 10 years. And we say, oh, by the way, here's mealtime insulin. You ask yourself, any other hormone disease I've worked in pharmacy, you usually replace the hormone with what you're missing to get back your, your, your ecosystem. But for type two, we say for the very last resort. When you ask doctors, why is that? They give you every excuse. Well, it's injectable, causes weight gain, it causes hypoglycemia. Well, these are the benefits of a Fresa, right? We don't have as much weight gain. We don't have as much hypo. And so when you push back on them, they don't understand Fresa. They don't understand the difference in the administration, what that does to how insulin actually works. And changes everything. Monomerics, you know how it's working, where injectables, hexameric. There's all these nuances that doctors have no idea. So my endo literally was, was trying to get me off a Fresa. I didn't tell her who I was. And so it was a fun experience when I heard her talk about, I'm like, well, since I started a friend, I lost six pounds. Look at my time in range, it's 90 plus percent. Like, what more do you want from me? The average patient is about 50% rate. And she's like, yeah, I guess you're doing okay. I'm like, but this is the problem at the end of community. You always live with type one, know more about your body, more about what you need than any doctor's ever going to tell you. You need a doctor to get access to the tools. Then with type two, I find unfortunately people are just told they're failures. They're told to change your diet. They're told that you're no world. You're paying three to five copays, and you're not getting anywhere. And your A1Cs aren't. And that's what I told my doctor. I need my A1C to drop a lot, dropping Genuvia, dropping Metformin. What's that going to give me? 0.2, 0 0.4 A1C reduction. I need over one percent. What's going to give me there? Real time insulin, because you can your CGM, right? That's kind right. of how I'm most pre-diabetic. I, I was actually working on integrate Dexcom into one of our Blue Hail platforms. And I got the Dexcom, I got some samples and doctor put it on. And every morning I, I take my kids to breakfast and I would get like a bagel and arched. I saw my sugar spike up to 250 and I'm like, whoa, that doesn't seem normal. And that's how I realized like, well, I'm not going to eat that again. CGM was very helpful. It diagnosed before I was even diagnosed a couple of years early because it's coming. That's so, so 
when I swanked up, I wasn't shocked. I was like, okay, I knew it was coming. That's so interesting and like so fortunate that you're, that, you know, you were just experimenting on a product that you guys are working on and, you know, able to sort of self-diagnose yourself. I do want to go back on one thing and, and you brought up a couple of really good reasons, but stigma around type two, people with type two diabetes taking mealtime insulin. Is that just historical from like, you know, years of bad information from, from years past and hasn't quite, you know, reached the the tipping point of, of acceptance now? Like, or is it the injection, the injections? Is it just, you know, the weight gain you mentioned, because like, obviously many patients with type two are trying to target the, you know, weight gain is one of their, or weight loss is one of their KPIs that they're looking to do it, it, like, or is it just a combination of all those things? I mean, look, I think injectable around a hundred years, right? We really hit a beyond for us and mankind, but, but, you know, we're the only real innovation in the last 25 years, a hundred years of blood slot. So fortunately, People just never had good control and typed. And there's a lot of negative halo patient, especially in city communities. They're like, oh yeah, well, but he was on it. He lost his leg or he went blind. And so, you know, and I had that my own uncle I watched, you know, go blind. But he didn't take care of himself, right? And you see him taking his insulin, you see him testing his sugar. So there's just a negative perception that, oh, I must be really sick if I need that. And I think we got to change that attitude, right? The bell. What are you missing in your body? What hormones are you missing in your body? How do you just give that back? How do you really focus on control? Hey, when I look at 80% of the population on insulin, type 1 or type 2, are not a goal. Think about that. Four out of five people are not a goal. And that means we're doing something poor because this is this is over 20 years of analog insulin, FIAS, pumps, sensors, all this innovation, and yet the number has not changed. And why is that? You're so afraid of hypoglycemia, right? You're not pushing your dose of insulin and it's a risk of life and death. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just stating the obvious, which is, we, we, you know, that people are so afraid of injectable insulin because of that balance of overdose that calls it hypo and underdose you go high and you're just a yo-yo all day. You know, I sold myself. I, I used the, I use ghost all times or other product. I've used injectable insulin. And so, you know, you can see both and how slow it works, how fast things work. What I've learned is it's about the right tools box to help you deal with this disease at the right moment in time. To your point, on an airplane is one way for me to copy shows differently. So, you know, it's really about having all options available to you to get the best do to give yourself the best chance. I, I like that approach. I think it's unique. I, I have it. Uh, that That's the approach that I take is like, it, just like any consumer product, I'm going to use whatever the best thing for me to help me, you know, live the life that I want to live. And I think applying that to, you know, to pharmaceuticals and, you know, med device is, is sort of a unique perspective these days. But, you know, what can you talk about? Like the, you know, how, how do we overcome that lack of awareness? Like you said, you know, Eritrea mentioned like her friend had never seen something like that. When I, one of the reasons when the team approached me to work with mankind, you know, one of the challenges that I often found when I was sharing, you know, just using a Frezza on social media is that people would talk to their endo about it, but their endo didn't feel comfortable prescribing it for one reason or another. You know, what do you think some of those challenges, you know, stem from and how are you guys addressing those? Yeah, I, I think number one is pivotal trials were done. You know, when you do clinical trials, a lot of the patients come from outside the U.S. Unfortunately, the rules, regulations are on that deep. And so a lot of patients in our trials came from outside the U.S. And so there was not a lot of foliar support. There was not a lot of academic centers experience. And so when you launched the drug, you had no advocate. 
And then the launch, unfortunately, happened through, through another company who underdosed the patients. If you ask me, like the number one flaw in Preza is those people did not understand the difference between an injectable insulin unit and an inhaled insulin. And that's the biggest standing out there, including in our trials. Like I did a trial specifically to look at proper dose, showing you how we're better than the standard of care. And one of the sites actually underdosed the patients. So they screwed up my trial when you only got four sites and one doesn't follow direction. You don't get, you know, you got an okay result, but we kind of got a lousy result. And, and that's, that's a lot of what to me, when you, what's the gap in doctors, it's, we are now doing our pediatric trial, for example, in 40 centers in the U.S. There's no XUS sites. So now we will have every major center participating in our pediatric. We're now running a pump switch trial, 20 of the top centers in the country that will have the top KOLs behind it. So now we're able to finally have money and do the proper trials and do the proper dosing and show you how can I get off this on top of my two or we did a trial last year. How do I add a present? You know, and so we are trying to drive the science of the nail amongst top fall leaders. And that those data, those studies are set to read out next year. I spent over $30 million roughly on these two trials just to get new data out there so that U.S. thought leaders actually have the clinical experience, knowledge, real world evidence that we need really help continue to grow and help more patients. And so, you know, rest, you know, I think next year, we're finally, yeah, we lost money for 32 years as a company until this year. So finally, we we're hopefully breaking even. We had an operating profit in the last quarter. But if that keeps going, you know, we'll have more money. And then the question is, how do you deploy that capital? Do I spend more on a present, more consumer advertising, or more an investment in R&D, right? And make those choices. But if I get really good data like we expect, I think we'll be able to help a lot more people raise awareness better than we ever have. Yeah, thank you for that. That like kind of input behind the scenes. You, you mentioned the, you know the company not being profitable for thirty two years, which brings me to a question of like Al Man, right, and the founder of Mankind. Like a, basically, you know, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but like one of the found like founding fathers of insulin pumps and diabetes devices, like a man who lived with diabetes and only passed away, you know, a few years ago. You know, when you're a, a patient yourself running a company with Al Man's name on it. Like how do you like how do you bring that infusion of his kind of like spirit and brand into the company? Yeah. So I've had the luxury when I started my career, I was at DuPont Pharmaceuticals, which was still DuPont was a family company, even though we're publicly traded. And then I worked for Sorono and then I worked here. And there and I worked for Merck Germany. So working for family founded companies is very different than working for like CVS Pharmacy part time or AMP. Different companies. So we have Al Man's legacy. His entrepreneurial spirit, his can do attitude, his ability to overcome obstacles, you know, is in our DNA. This team has overcome so many challenges to survive. It's almost died three times. Now we're 1.5 billion growing every year. We went from $1 million in revenue to $200 million in revenue this quarter. Unfortunately, most of it's not diabetes, but we are committed to keep the present on the market. We bought Ego last year. So we're committed to diabetes and our man, you, you know, spent $1 billion. I don't know if people realize we spent $3 billion to get a Fresno on the market, but our man spent $1 billion of his own money. You know, he sold the insult pump company in the late 90s, billionaire. He knew that no matter what you did to the insult pump, the input was too slow. You know, the insulin can't make it go faster. It's got to be stabilized. There's nothing but he can do is fall. So all the pump algorithms, all we're trying to do is manipulate the slow profile of insulin. We don't fundamentally change the input, which is inhaled versus 
that's why I tell people I can give it a pen, a vial, a pod. It doesn't matter. It's the same insulin. The profile is the same. It doesn't when you inhale, Almea knew that the only way to get faster absorption, faster activity was through the lungs. There is no way, 100 years at least, 50 there, to get it through the skin phase. It's just not going to work. Where you get scarring tissue, you got adipose tissue, absorption, hexmer breaking out of monomer. You got so many issues happening. That's probably the biggest misperception, Rob, is that I gave a half unit injection to my pump or I gave a one unit. Your, your dose is off because of the heat of your skin, the scarring of your skin, the occlusion. There's nowhere near accuracy in insulin dose in her carb count. But that's a lot of confused by. And I think Al Man was trying to just take away carb counting, take away the inaccuracy. It just did. You know what? Give it. Get your sugars under control. Not there. Give it another hour from now. That's that's real-time control. Much than that. I know in the 30, 45 minutes, I think enough for Can't You don't know that. I need a heart. Then you worry about stacking and going low five hours later. So that's the difference to me with the Alman's vision. He could see things 20 years ahead of the market. He knew in 98 and CGM went like this all day before we had figure six telling us that, right? So that that's why that guy was so smart, such a billionaire. The family still owns, trustees of the estate still own part of mankind. So we're still giving back to society. Uh, all the money we pay them back, here they sell, they, they give back to charity. Chronology of Diabetes Cures. That's the City of Hope. Now, man just named the pharmacy school as his trustees at USC. So I think, you know, his legacy is so important to what we do. Really drives our mission to help patients. That will never change. So I, I want to talk about that, about the, the mission to helping patients, because I think, in, especially in patient communities, the perception of a pharmaceutical company categorically has like a bad public reputation. Uh, and I think they see like big, big executives uh, on Senate Judiciary Committees and their ivory towers, uh, you know, hitting PR talking points. So two questions on that, like how, how are you building a culture uh, at Mankind that challenges that status quo of what a pharma company can be? Uh, and how do you strike that balance between, you know, that mission and providing value to shareholders and like meeting patients where they are? Yeah, I think, look, the first is industry did really dumb things in the late 90s, early 2000s that got in a bad reputation. And then insurance companies, I think, did not help from mid to 2005 to 2022 with, with the PBF market. And so... You know, unfortunately in healthcare, we as patients have to pay copays every month. We're reminded about the cost of a drug every month. If I get a knee replacement once in my life and it costs me a thousand bucks, I don't think about it. If I got a doctor visit four times a year to get my prescription, I don't really think about it. And so, you know, why don't we have prescriptions that are filled every three months and you only got four copays a year instead of one every month, right? We're reminded every month we pay more and more cost of our healthcare than ever before. And that's because what's happening, you know, you look at insulin, it's 70% off. The retail price to the middleman, patients paying only 20% copay until this year, where $35 cap it with Medicare. But if the patient was paying 20%, and the, and the pharmaceutical company giving away 70%, you're saying, well, I'm paying 20% of, you know, I'll call it 200 bucks a month or 100 bucks a month for insulin. Well, what you don't realize is that that price may be 600. We're giving 400 to the insurance company, and you're paying 100 or 200. There's no insurance coverage in that model. You're paying cash, basically, and they're all little better making money. And that's why you saw insulin companies really lower the price of some of these legacy insulin, because all that money was going to the middleman. Right now, today, 40 cents of every dollar for a friend that goes to middleman. 
you know, 60 cents on Vigo goes to the middleman. You know, we don't make any money on the device of Vigo barely. We make barely breaks even. Friends, we've lost money for, for 30 years. Investing. And so that's what people don't realize is you only hear about the Abby Humara that makes $20 billion. Well, yeah, that, that's a fluke and it's helped lots of people. And, but it's $75,000 a year in the US and it's $50,000 a year in Europe. You say, how can the same drug cost 5X outside the US? Well, you don't have all the middlemen. And that's the difference, right? And, and so that's, you know, people don't realize, for example, Medicaid for pharmaceuticals is basically free. We wind up giving, you know, almost 90 cents back on the dollar to Medicaid, you know, five years. Uh, once the drug is lost, it just go that way with the form. And, and so who pays for all the Medicaid scripts? We do as, as commercial insured patients. Our insurance pays. So we got to subsidize the cost of the government insurance when it's basically free for 10, 20% of your sales. The only way you give it for free to the government is because you were commercial. So drug pricing is so confusing for everybody. We just try to, you know, as society, we say, why pay the pharmacy? It's expensive. The drug companies are, I get it. I have a pharmacist. I've seen it. I've had patients come to me saying, which drug do I take? I can only afford two. This month. Well, you're on fine. Yeah, I know, but I can only afford two. So much of compliance related to that copay, that call share. We saw it this year when president became 35 hours of Medicare. We had a huge jump in sales because our Medicare patients were getting hit with 100, 200 dollars a month of cost. We couldn't do anything about it. And we saw that better. Now our market share of Medicare is the same as it is for injectable insulin. We really caught up three quarters. So we do see that cost does hold back refills, does hold back patients. And that's why the industry gets gets a bad rep, but it's a combination of the insurance industry, the nature of the healthcare system in the US. The industry did bad things, but I think the industry's really picked up its act. And it doesn't deserve the reputation. You look at COVID, how many people lost a lot of people, but because of this industry, we also saved a lot. I think about cardiovascular disease, hypertension, genetic rare diseases. I mean, you know, done a tremendous amount of work. Now, I, I will be the first to tell you on insulin, it's a hundred year old product. I used to dispense for 20 bucks a month at CBS 95. And that same vial is $450 a month 20 years later. Why? There was no more innovation, right? That is, that is why we got a bad reputation. So I was really happy to see that those prices were being reduced. Because that is the right thing to do. And hopefully it starts to change some other perception. People complain about drug stockouts and why they always stocked out. Well, part of that is because when things go generic, the generics only care about making a margin. They don't care if the patient lives or dies. They just care about making money. And so brand companies, we live, say, every patient every day. Right? I have another drug in our that we make for another company called Avasa. It's a rare disease. People need it. It's high blood pressure in long space. And if they don't get it, they die. Literally, they die that day. So we can't stock out, right? We got to make that drug reliably, consistently. They depend on us to live. We take that very seriously. If that drug goes generic, a generic company says, well, so-and-so is making it cheaper. I'll just stop. And then they stock out. The other one stocks out. Who's left? Right? That sucks. We're seeing that cancer today, right? So many people not get proper cancer. Unbelievable in my mind in this richest country in the world, we can't get stock cancer drug. That's hard. That that just nature of the system. People don't realize in the US, eighty percent of your sales, ninety percent of your sales when a drug loses patent go away in ninety days. Think about that. You may built this market, you spent two, three billion, and once you lose your patent within ninety days, you lose ninety percent of your sales. In other countries that doesn't happen. You have a lower price 
generics compete with each other. Their brands compete with generics. The generics have sales courses, believe it or not. No, it's a completely different healthcare model outside the U.S. and in the U.S. And they in the U.S., fortunately, wholesalers make money, the pharmacies make money, the PBMs make money. That's that's the freedom of beauty of the U.S. It's also the curse of the U.S. People come here because they got an entrepreneurial spirit. We like our freedoms. We don't want to control. Other countries have socialism and other things. I don't know what the right answer is. I wish I had. What people don't realize is there's $300 billion discounts off drugs to middle men. That That is not profits, unfortunately. That is employing nurses in hospitals that is paying for pharmacists, pharmacy. It's paying for the distribution of the drugs around the country. Subsidizing the entire U.S. medical infrastructure. And if those $300 billion rebates go away, we got to make up that money somewhere else, right? And I, doctors don't want to take pay cut. Labs don't want to take pay cut. I don't know what the real answer is, unfortunately, because it's not an easy one. But the way the U.S. healthcare system is built is honestly all of drug pricing. Right. And, uh, that's unfortunate. It really is. And you know, I think it is challenging. You know, so much of our identity here in the West in the United States is, you know, you can come here with, you know, pennies to your name and, you know, find a way. And we have all these American dream stories that are well documented. I mean, yourself included, it sounds like where, you know, you can, you can make be your own man and make your make your own way. And like. And at the same time, there are like both things can be true. It can be really uh, difficult and rigged, and and also the opportunities are still there for 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 some as well. That, that's I love this country because you can literally come here, come with nothing, make yourself right. I also see the deficit. You get lost in the the ecosystem of government or mental health. You can't get out. Like you just can't get out sometimes. It's really hard. It sucks. Sometimes. But people struggle and they can't get through those struggles. System. My uncle lost his license. I was talking about it. You know, the number of fines he got just to get back his license at 60 some years old, he doesn't come up with like $10,000. This guy doesn't have money. He's all disability, right? Doesn't have 10 grand. Now he can't go to the store, can't get his food. He's got to rely on people. He's just stuck in a negative rut. It's really hard. He made bad choices early in his life, but he's a good human being. But, you know, fortunately, the system barrels penalizes you. It's hard to get out. Yeah. I think. I didn't anticipate quoting Tupac Shakur, but he said America eats its babies. And, yeah. you know, I think, you know, that that's well documented. So, well, thank you for that perspective. I think, you know, like you said, the health, healthcare system is confusing. And I think there's just so many elements to it that even people like myself, like, don't fully comprehend or understand. But it's it's nice to hear somebody who really has a unique perspective and insider, you know, you know, track on 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 what's going on there. So I think, you know, as we kind of wrap the interview, I, I really want to know what's exciting uh, to you from from mankind and like what what can we share with patients and our listeners about what to be keep an eye on from, you know, Afreza or Vigo and otherwise. You mentioned the studies that are happening currently, pediatrics as well as as pumps. And, you know, what what should listeners, you know, be on the lookout for from mankind in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, look, I'm super excited. We don't have the results of our pediatric trial, but my my dream is, you know, we know most type ones are diagnosed at eight to 12 years old. I have a vision that one day a newly diagnosed child will start inhaled insulin and hopefully be on them for their life, right? Show that they, they never have to be subject to injecting three to five times a day or the highs and lows that their parents worry about. Now we can we really get the great control because a lot of kids today, you see, he wants these are worse today in kids that were 20 years ago. That's crazy. These are the top centers in the country. We have horrible A1Cs. Children, I think as much as we love technology, I also see that People are waiting for their alarm to dose their insulin. They're, they don't want to go low, so now they're going high for it. 
and we're seeing able to go up. We got to teach good habits age. So hopefully we see the results of the kids trial. And we know that there's a huge barrier around bias towards, hey, you must only start with a really want to provide more patient choice. That's our hope. It started with kids. We look at our man, right? He built a pump market in the 80s, 90s of kids, turned into the 2000s into adults, really helped bring in new innovation around Medtronic and Tandem, iPod, you know, all those amazing tools for patients. I think if Valman didn't make those investments in the 90s, we'd be where we are today. And so I think innovation, Dexcom is another one, started with kids. CGM was around 10 years before it became popular. And boom, everyone, you can't imagine life without yours. So I, I think for me, it's it's really showing that innovation of children, getting started, scaling up the cell adults. Vigo, we bought last year. It's a, it's a great device if you have type 2. We actually have about 10% of people are type 1 on it. But, but for type 2s, it's a device. It's just, you set it, it's on you, and just click. And, you know, you don't have to worry about carrying your insulin. You don't have to worry about clicking a couple times. Here's the most And because it's a more efficient way, it delivers the basal over 24 hours, not get one bolus all at once. You just slow break, which actually makes your overall insulin use down. Because I, I, when I used insulin, I actually saw myself about five, I was on a diet this year. No carbs, no call, like nothing. And I lost about seven, eight pounds. And then I went on injectables and I gained like six pounds in the three weeks. I'm like, whoa, what happened? And I just, I, I can't explain why. We just know injectables causes weight gain. And doctors always get their mind boggled. Like, why does a Fresa not have that same effect? I was always on a Fresa. I was never on injectables. So if I was on injectables and I switched to Vigo, I would never notice anything. But because I added injectable, I noticed that weight gain right away. And then I came off and I lost the weight right away. It's kind of the weirdest thing in the world, but. Well, it's, it's, it really is. I think we're, we have another interview later today talking about uh, type one and exercise and how, you know, diet culture and, and specifically around women with diabetes can be a very challenging relationship with insulin because trying to, to keep your numbers in range, you need more insulin. And in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, if I take more insulin, I might gain weight and, and I don't want that. And that can lead to really challenging eating disorders and you know, just balancing those things, again, back to the mental health strain of diabetes. It really is a tricky situation. If we have a patient who used to work for us, I won't say her last name, a person was Cynthia, you might know her, she's out there. She had suffered from diabolemia for many years and Fresa really gave her cure alcohol for her. She was so worried about eating and gaining weight and it was a negative cycle that the president made her not gain the weight and make control and eat healthier. And she went from that stage of really depressed right, to success to having a baby, which was so great. You know, watching her go all the way through that journey. And that's really where I want to get to next is how do we get to gestational diabetes and we know doctors are using it pregnancy to help more that population you know variability that happens in pregnancy is very dangerous to the child. Right. It's there. Then we got the, we do a pump switch trial this year. So last year we did a trial, adding a present to your pumps, switching off your pump with just a present, but we're staying on your AID system. And in that study, we showed you can use it any which way you want to stay on your ID. You want to switch to a present. You want to add a present. You've got the same outcome regardless. It was a short study, small plan, but we, we showed that don't need to be attached to something, right? That was our first thing. How do you do it? How do you dose it? And what we learned in that study was people didn't get the basal right. And so that's a big change. They're so used to your pump, eating insulin all day, that basal becomes a different ratio of mealtime control. 
So we learned from that study. Now we're applying that. We're doing a 120-page switch study this year where we're going to show you Tracipo Fresno versus best standard of care you want is hopefully as good or better. That that study will be out early next year. We, we kicked it off in July. We're already one-third enrolled the first five weeks. So it's going really well. People are super excited. We're super excited because it'll be done by this year. We'll have those results early next year for ADA. Uh, so that'll be the largest pump switch trial ever done in my line. I've been looking for data. If you find it, let me know. But there's very little data showing you how to switch off a pump. It's a lot of data showing how to use a pump. So we want to show you how can you safely use Traceba President hopefully. Do you have better time and range? Do you have better A1C? Do you have better freedom or watching quality? So those will be the two big data sets next year is the switch trial and the peak both one. We've done a lot of data in type two. I'm not sure how much more data we'll generate there. But otherwise, we'll be over the next 20 years. We got lots of patents and IP. Amazing product, as you know. Thank you for your support and having me today. Anything we can do to help patients, anything, questions people have. You know, one of the things we always know as we close out here is people worry about lung safety. It's new, it's delivered that way. And I just want to close on, you know, it goes through the lungs like your oxygen. These are micron particles. They don't, you know, there's an old inhaled insult years ago that was a sugar-based mannitol formulation the lungs got absorbed it's a very different profile just because something is inhaled doesn't mean it's the same technology you know our technology is you inhale it in a half a second it goes from the inhaler into your blood people think oh what if i'm sick i remind people if you have tar covered lungs you still get nicotine you know still get your afresa even when you're sick you know of a respiratory infections etc so it's really important yes you may need more insulin if you're sick that's natural for all of us but you still get your dose. You still get very consistent delivery. People just don't realize your lungs are half the size of a tennis court. So you're spreading all that it's over a large surface area versus you inject in one little spot, you get absorbed, displayed. And so that's getting your blood very rapidly. And the lungs are just a wonderful way to treat certain And it's just a new way to think about drug-targeted delivery. So we have five drugs all delivered through lungs. I mean, that's what we do. We're a lung-based delivery company. And... People should feel good. It's been on the market nine years. Definitely let us go to kids if it wasn't safe. And there's three ingredients in the product. It's water, which I know we pay a lot of money to purify. It's FDKP, which gets excreted 100%. And the third ingredient is human insulin. So I always joke and say, which ingredient are you afraid of? Because the human insulin, the body likes the water we know. And the other one is 100% excreted. It doesn't get absorbed. So it's, it's a relatively pretty innocuous product, I'll say. It's, it's how we change delivery. People say, well, how does that work? If you're at a dip and dot ice cream, you probably have the largest big dot maker world. We we freeze dry that insulin acidic environment. As soon as it touches your lung, it disassociates, it goes right into the blood. So it's all about how do you stabilize it form so that it can get into the blood and cause issues, right? In terms of breaking down things like that, being stable. Yeah, I've I've heard patients who have been on insulin for you know 20 plus years and struggle with you know insulin absorption you know, really high insulin to carb ratios and, you know, they don't, they're able to get, you know, much better absorption and much better ratios on, on a Fresa just because of that, you know, absorption. So, so any questions you have here, audience, reach out on public on LinkedIn. People can find me. We're happy to help as many people. Anyone has an access issue, email me personally, Castagna at MankindCorp.com or FNKD is our stock symbol, but we, we want to make sure that we're here to help it fight for patients. Yeah access issues or a doctor issue. There's a find my doctor on our website. We found that many docs have never prescribed more than one or two people. They don't know how to write it. And so it comes a challenge. So we have that on our website. 
find doctors who actually know how to do it properly. And so we try to do everything we can to help as many people as we can. This is a good experience. And uh, just to close out this year, one of the things we did is we lowered the price. So if you don't have insurance or you're over you know, high deductible, it's $100 a month. So as you know, you pay more than that for your insulin supply pump. So, you know, we don't want that to be the excuse. We know 80% of people get covered partial Medicare, but there is about 10 to 20% that do have problems. And, and so we, we lowered the price cash dollars. And I, I'll actually, you know, piggyback on that. So I have commercial insurance, but my my insurance won't support more than one rapid acting insulin. And I use that cash pay program and it is really straightforward to use. And the, the pharmacy that delivers it, they, they called me, they said, Hey, we've got the, uh, this is what it's going to cost with your insurance. It was pretty high. Then they said, Hey, we've got a cash pay program. When you want to do that? I said, yes. And I had it the next day. So it really does work. Great to hear that. Thank you. But it's working. Cause that, that, I, I don't want the, I don't want the, like we've determined the price of a Starbucks a day is a fair price per present. Fault me for that. We spent a lot of money to bring this innovation patients, but that's what we determined. We think is a fair price. We've also lowered the price of the bingo. We'll need to buy that for cash at five dollars a month. So you know we're not making money on those programs patients have access to that. Well Michael, thank you so much for the time today. It was really great to just to hear your perspective, both as a patient and as and as a leader, you know, in the pharmaceutical space. So thank you as well for your support of diabetics doing things. You know, we're we did two in-person events this year because of the support that you guys brought for the first time. So we're you know, giving back to the patient community and just appreciate you guys believing in us. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Get the word out. Raise awareness. Bring these together. So keep doing it.